Hello, beautiful souls, and welcome to the Woo Curious Podcast, your map to the mystical, your key to the sacred, and your guide back home to yourself. I'm Eileen, a writer, a spiritual coach, energy healer, and slow living witch. And I'm Ellie, a sacred sensuality facilitator, a spiritual coach, and an anointing priestess. This podcast is your invitation to explore a world where the mundane and the sacred intertwine. It is a haven for those ready to take the first steps into the realm of magic and mystery, providing a safe space for you to embark on your own enchanted journey. Here we'll unveil the whispers of the mystical, the rituals often hidden in plain sight, and the ceremonies that will stir your soul. We're all about demystifying woo and witchcraft, making these ancient practices accessible to all. So whether you're a seasoned seeker or simply woo curious, we are here to guide you on your path to self-discovery, healing, and empowerment. So join us as we light the way and invite you to rediscover your true essence. Hey, Woo Crew. Welcome back to another episode of the Woo Curious Podcast. I am one half of your hosts, Eileen, and I'm here with... Hi, everyone. I'm Ellie. And we are so excited to be bringing you part two of our two-part episode on living into the divine feminine. But of course, in tradition, before we dive into today's topic, Ellie has a review to read for you from the Apple Podcast app. Our review comes from TCN21! Exclamation point. Thank you very much for submitting. I know, wild. Submitting this review, it says, Woo Curious Magic. Ellie and Eileen are wonderful guides for those who are woo curious and looking to explore the mystical and sacred world of witchcraft. Their wisdom, gifts, and passions come together in magic. Thank you, TCN21! Exclamation <laughs> point. Thank you. We love hearing from you. We love your reviews. We love them so much that we want to run another contest to encourage more reviews because we have so much fun reading them out here at the beginning of each episode. So from now through until February 5th, Everyone who submits a five-star review, not just a rating, so you got to go into Apple Podcasts and submit a review. Everyone who does that will be entered into a draw to win a one-month access to our live Patreon events. So that's for the month of February. So head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. Even if you left one before, you can leave a new one. You've been listening for longer. There's more. And yeah, we'll be announcing the winner on February 5th. Wonderful. I can't wait to read all of your reviews. Mm-hmm. Shall we dive into, oh, actually, are we doing sacred magical thing? I mean, I don't know why we wouldn't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Eileen, tell me a magical thing that has happened to you recently. I got together yesterday with two of my dear friends, Jen and Kristen. We get together monthly and we talk about everything, but we're all in the entrepreneurial world. We're all growing and dreaming and visioning. And so we get together once a month to share all of our dreams and what we're working on and to support each other and really just celebrate each other and big each other up. And every month it is so, so good. We missed November. And I remember by the time we met in December, I was like, where are you? I need this. (laughs) 
So we met yesterday one last time before I sneak out of the country for a few months and, and did our thing. It was a really, really super lovely day to spend. How lovely. This is all about like finding your coven, finding, your, mm-hmm. finding your people that you you want to be with. Mm-hmm, exactly. What about you? What's your magical moment? A magical moment is I have a goal, if you will, of being in the forest at least once a month, excuse me, at least once a week. And we have, it's been a minute since we've brought the dogs to the forest. And so yesterday we got in the car, hopped in the car and chose a hike that we wanted to do about an hour, hour and a half away from where we live. So we had an adventure of going there. I, I really love a road trip. And then we found, we did not find the trail that we wanted to go to, but we did end up doing a 2K complete uphill to an, a lookout that was absolutely phenomenal of the mountains. And I'm always reminded when I go into the forest, like fellow moss witch here, every time I go into the forest, I find myself just like touching the trees and and running my hand through the moss and just the smell of the forest just takes me back to my dad and it was so wonderful and it was so wonderful it was a place that we could let some of the pups off leash and just you know putty putt around as we Mm -hmm. as we walked uphill for 2k and debated our choices because this was not a hiking trail it was just a hydro road that oh no (laughs) <laughs> and de- debated our choices but didn't regret anything uh when we got back into the into the car so it was it was so nice to have that as family time so as a family we'll probably go out into the forest once a month and as an individual with one or two pups I'll go once a week I love that and actually you're reminding me you spoke about this I can't remember if it was last week's podcast or the one before but I was editing one of them and it I sat down to edit and I had a pretty full day and you were talking about this desire to be out in nature and I was like I'm not gonna edit this right now I'm putting this down the sun was shining and there was hoarfrost on everything and so I went out and I was skipping (laughs) (laughs) I was literally skipping through the wildlands behind my house and I just kept stopping being like oh my god it's so pretty yeah there's nobody around so I got to say this exclaiming this out loud multiple times I took a million photos none of them capture it but (laughs) I was beside myself with how beautiful it was and I think the difference for me is like of course I can go to the forest my backyard is a forest but it's different when I go to a different area or an Mm -hmm. unknown area there's a different set of adventure there and that's exactly it like I can go to my backyard just like you and and be able to really appreciate that beauty And there's a sense of adventure that goes along with discovering something, someplace new. Yeah. Yeah. I need to get into different areas a little while. I'm about to go to a whole different country. So everything will be different. Yeah. That's one big adventure that's coming up. Yeah, exactly. All right. (laughs) Let's dive in. So last week we chatted with you about daily rituals, setting up sacred space and time family rituals and ceremony, and then a little bit about why it's easier said than done. I think we'll touch more on that this week. I get the sense we didn't quite fill that bit out last week, but this week our main topics are going to be more about embodying the divine feminine and then how to live into it at work because that's a really important piece and a tricky one and healing generational wounds or addressing the 
the lack of divine feminine through the generations as it's been kind of beaten out of us or subsumed under the patriarchy. Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? Ooh, speaking of FTP, Ellie has FTP merch now, so you are going to want to get some of that. I do have FTP merch. The launch of the FTP line is super slim and building, but we have hoodies, t-shirts, and tote bags. I love it. Yeah. What more do you need? Just walk around with FTP everywhere. Mm-hmm. I'll pop the link <laughs> so that you can check the store out, the Etsy store out. Perfect. Do you want to start us off? Sure. So the first part that we want to talk about is embodying the divine feminine. And when we talk about the embodiment of this concept, I think that just like witchcraft, a lot of us don't realize how witchy we really are. When we start to realize the qualities and the aspects of the divine feminine or living into our feminine embodiment, we begin to realize both sides of things, how much we might already be doing and how much we may be holding back because of conditioning in our lives. And so we can see this in in embodiment practices by the way that we dress, by the way, like the things that we choose to wear. It can be the foods that we choose to eat. And I Mm -hmm. say this because are we doing this because society says this is healthy or, you know, we're not, thank goodness we're out of the low fat craze, kind of, but out of low fat or calorie counting or all of this masculine energetics of how we eat dress play what we put on our face you know mm-hmm. because at a certain age society tells us that we need to start thinking about things like wrinkle creams and our embodiment practices are literally us taking a stand this is part of the ftp i think quality with the divine feminine it's how we take a stand with how we live our life mm-hmm. so let's talk about this in terms of sensual sensuality for that matter and pleasure practices i just talked about clothing and food and and play for that matter all of these things live into or underneath the umbrella of pleasure because it can be pleasurable for us to engage in practices where we choose what clothes we wear it can be pleasurable for us to engage in practices for meal planning for example or understanding how our body works, how our own DNA is made up, and therefore eating the things that make us feel really good or lux. Like I just did the closing of the portal ceremony a few weeks ago. And one of the things that we talked about is having this a bit of sweetness. So bring honey or bring chocolate as a way to anchor in or to remember how sweet life can really be. Mm-hmm. And now when we, when we enjoy those things, we can, we can be anchored back into this moment. Mm-hmm. And then this also comes into things like sensuality. You know, what are we told? How are we told to dress? And I come back to, you know, we're told to dress modestly, but if we dress too modest, then we're prudes. And if we're not modest enough, then we are sluts. So there's this conditioning that we have felt our whole life that instead of relinquishing control over that conditioning, I am not here for this anymore. And we start to move into wearing and, and acting in ways in and out of the bedroom that make us feel really good and receptive. Then yeah. that's whenever we really start to make a big impact with embodying the divine feminine for me. 
Anything that you want to add? Yeah, there's a couple things as you spoke that just popped into my head. And part of that was it can be really hard to know what you actually want. Mm -hmm. I was sitting here thinking one of my sister's friends was recently like, you should become an injectionist because they make loads of money. And as a registered midwife, I can do that. And I was, it's so counter to everything that is me and what I practice. She's like, you don't have to want to do it. Just do it for us. And all I could think was this society that we are in that has caused women to genuinely desire to put a poison into their face. And no, this is no shade to anybody listening to this who might want to do that. It does make us feel better to have fewer wrinkles because that is what we've been conditioned into from the time we're really little. But if we take away that male gaze, do you really care if there are wrinkles mm. there? Like it's that sense of, okay, what what does matter? Will it make you happier or will it give you a sense of power over <laughs> your life that maybe you're lacking in other areas in the moment? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as you are starting to lean into embodying your divine feminine, again, let yourself be right. If Botox mm-hmm. is right for you, then Botox is right for you. Yeah. But bring that compassionate curiosity as well along for the ride as you start to play with and experiment with what does actually feel right? What does actually increase my sense of embodiment and my happiness in this in this space? I want to I want to really like pinpoint something that you said about taking away the male gaze, taking away the male gaze and the judgment from society and family. Because mm-hmm. I think this is exactly like when we take away the male gaze, okay, no, it doesn't really matter. But yet we still feel better. And if you feel better doing it, hey, you feel better doing it. You do you, boo. I will also challenge the question around, are you doing this because society at a whole decided that it was desirable to have a wrinkle-free face. I, you're reminding me of something that my grandmother turned gray at 20 and my lover also turned gray around 20 and so has had like silver, silver hair since then and she just turned 51. And I have always wanted gray hair. And when I was in my 20s, I had my hair platinum blonde and I adored. I cannot picture that. I just can't oh, picture man, that. So blonde. So good. Like, so good. Uh, I loved, I stopped dyeing my hair quite a few years ago, but I loved the platinum blonde. I loved it. I'll, I'll dig up a picture for you to, to witness the fitness of me being a platinum blonde. And I'll put it in the stories as well. Uh, but I have always really wanted to be gray. And recently I have a couple of gray eyebrows and I have a couple of gray hairs but I have a couple of gray eyebrows and literally I'm like I can't block those like (laughs) those have to stay in like I don't care where they are placed in my eyebrow but they cannot be blocked as a badge of honor for for, Mm -hmm. for graying and another friend of mine who doesn't align she really likes her hair dyed a certain color but for a few years in between dyeing she let her hair grow out into her natural color which is completely gray she also grayed very early and I remember every time I saw her I was just like I love your hair and she hated it I love your hair I love it and then one day she decided you know what I'm going to go back to the auburn color that I I really feel like myself she said every time Mm -hmm. she looked at herself in the mirror she was like who is that And she Mm -hmm. went back to her auburn color and she was like, oh, there I am. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a beauty in in knowing 
what is right for you. You mentioned like that sense of, you know, the male gaze and or not not having any wrinkles in your face and that being what is quote unquote desirable. That is also pigeoning or like putting women into that one role, right? We have to be the maiden perpetually. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's that youthfulness. It's the sex drive. It's the like, you can't age because the older a woman gets, the less useful or desirable she is. And it's placing the value of women on their appearance. I think Hollywood is like the perfect example. And it's been spoken about by many a person that you look at these aging movie stars and yes, I know the men are getting some work done too, but for the most part, they get wrinkles. They have them. And because it looks like, it looks so weird to me when you see a 70-year-old actress who looks somehow like she's still 30 and you're like, this is not okay. <laughs> it just feels so wrong to me. And, and it doesn't, from my gaze, it's not attractive. Like the wrinkled man who looks 60 because he is 60 looks way better than the plastic looking 60 year old woman who looks 25. We watched the book club movie. Have you watched the book club series? No. It's great. It's Jane. It's a bunch of gals who've been actresses for many, many years. Jane Fonda. Candace oh, Bond. I should watch that because I've seen little clips, I think. It's so funny. It's such a funny movie. I cackled. We, I watched number two first and then I watched number one. So don't be afraid to watch whichever one you can get your hands on first. I cackled at some of those, the lines in the movie. They, they were so funny. And I think that in the movie, they really embody the archetype of like, you can still be like you're in your second maiden phase after your late husband, you know? And I lo <laughs> I loved the vixenness of some of them and mm. the just like embodiment of them. And I know that they probably get lots of work done themselves, but they also are their age. Mm -hmm. And like Jane Fonda has been around for how long now? <laughs> in her little sweats, you know? And I, I just think that it was such a good representation for women coming back into their maiden phase or the second coming of the maiden, if you will. But yeah. now more knowledge. It's also called the crown. Yeah. <laughs> right. Second because, maidenhood. Yeah, because they know they know better now. Yeah. Slightly wrinklier than the first. <laughs> yeah. Much more knowledgeable, slightly wrinklier. Yeah, I think that I think that we do have we do have a lot of conditioning around like where we see this a lot is our appearance and the judgment we have around the appearance of other women in particular. And especially mm -hmm. when it comes to age, when it comes to what we wear, how we physically adorn ourselves and how we act, like what yeah. is act your age, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And pointing to what we wear to, Earlier when you were talking about, you know, if you're too covered up, you're a prude. And if you're too revealing, it's slutty. But then like what too covered up and what too revealing is, is also entirely arbitrary based on your body shape too. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So there's like that added layer and that comes from men and women. And obviously many women hold the same kind of judgments and value <laughs> placing as men, because that's what, again, that's what we've been indoctrinated with since yeah. the time that we were tiny and it is it's it's an interesting space I tend to veer I'm 
the way that I dress is like it's it's wild it's a wild swing <laughs> Greg's like what even is your style I'm like I don't know whatever Kelsey gave me <laughs> this week but any hand me down that I can get yeah <laughs> but it is it's a an interesting place to try to to feel into that embodying of like what does actually if nobody was watching what would I want to put on my body today mm-hmm. I had this discussion I know I've spoke to this point before but I I feel like this is a hill I will die on especially as somebody who's a bigger body I have been told subtly my whole life what is acceptable and not acceptable and it can be something as like covert really as not having a size that would fit me like stores that have fashion that I would be into that they Mm. wouldn't have a size that fit me and as somebody who came from the yoga world like Lululemon for so long has been the gold standard and I don't know how many years ago but not many not many because whatever the the dude's name was that I have not very many nice things to say the one who was basically was like I don't care that my pants are see-through on bigger sizes they shouldn't be wearing my clothes yes yeah (laughs) that one that individual Mm -hmm. but and now I think Lulu has like I don't know up to size 22 or something like that like they have a a wide range because they realize we will literally throw money at you if it fits us you know like Mm -hmm. there's a whole section of us in society that want to wear the fashion that you are creating and so I, I really, this is a hill that I really feel like I can, I can die on in terms of wearing things that really make you feel embodied and questioning what it is that makes you feel embodied. Like, is the material something that feels good on you? Is the color something that feels good on you? Are you wearing the color because it's fashionable or because it feels good for you? I think mm-hmm. this is something for a recommendation. I'm going to go on Instagram as well, but I I, I want a recommendation for an app or a per, an individual, like somebody who specializes in color therapy for you. Have you seen this really popular in places like Korea where they, they check your colors, like the colors that most look good on you. And I'm really curious about what, what my colors are. Oh yeah. My hairdresser was into that for a little while. She has ADHD and she just goes down rabbit holes. Yeah. (laughs) Self-professed. And so every time I'm in there, she's like, have you heard about this thing? And I'm like, no. Yeah. fill me in super and therapy. yeah I was wearing my I've got a like a mustard yellow knit sweater yeah my knit uh, <laughs> every time I wear it to my coaching calls on Wednesday my coach is like oh it's my favorite sweater yeah. and I walked into Amanda's studio once with that on she's like oh are you an autumn color palette I'm like I don't know what that yes, means but That's sure <laughs> I am yeah but yeah, I think, you know, the color, the the size, like how it fits you. And does that make you feel good? Like, does that make you feel good? Because I have clothing that is too big for me and it doesn't make me feel good. Like it, it fits, but it's frumpy and it doesn't make me feel good in whatever it is that I'm wearing. So I really think that the more we can embody ourselves in terms of the choices that we're making on how we represent ourselves, And I really think that clothing, I'm, I'll talk about this with hair, the same thing, embodying practices for how we care for ourselves. Actually, let's leave that for a half a second. But mm-hmm. how we clothe ourselves and what we do with our hair, and for that matter, wearing makeup or not, all of these things, this is the hill I will die on because we have squeezed ourselves, no matter what our body size is, into the expectations of other people Mm -hmm. for far too long 
Mm -hmm. I am, I am no longer here for that. Mm -hmm. So go through your closet and and start to pull out things that you don't feel good in. I actually just donated a bunch of clothes and this is what needs to happen whenever I donate clothes is that I need to make sure that they're like, they're hidden from my lover because she saw them in the back of the car and she's like, but this is so nice. And I bought you these jammies. I'm like, they're great. I don't feel good in them. I don't feel good in them. Yeah. I, I don't, I wore them. They don't feel good. And she was like, okay, then if they don't feel good, go ahead. Like, yeah, I'm not about to to hang on to something because I used to fit into something or I want it to fit or somebody gifted it to me. I think you're making a really good point here too about for me anyways, this is sparking the fact that I will continue to wear something because it's still good. Like it's still, mm. and I, if I get rid of it, then I might need to replace it. And that might require me to spend some money on myself. Mm. And so this, I feel like might tie in. I was working on this with a client as well, the sense of like, when's the last time you went out and bought something that you feel really good in? Mm. And, you know, I was like, you can go to Valley Village. It doesn't have to be something brand new, but something new to you that gives you pleasure to put on your body. Mm. Because it's a tough one. It's that self-denial again, right? Mm. That sense of not feeling well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it and it fits. So like I should wear it. I, yeah, the things I've held on to because of that. <laughs> so little ridiculous. Far too, many. Far too many. And that's, again, that's like stepping out of the self-sacrificing martyr label that gets placed on us and stepping into embodying our divine feminine. There is a head turning quality of a woman when she walks into a room where she is embodying the divine feminine Mm -hmm. and it transcends colors of skin for that matter it transcends the color of your hair your eyes the clothes that you're wearing it transcends your education so many things because it is an embodiment that turns heads Mm -hmm. and I think that that's really what we're missing is the permission to shine. Like the embodiment of the divine feminine is the permission to shine. And I think that we also, I want to come back to something you said, like we have a hole in our wardrobe when we donate something. This is actually a reframe that it's not necessarily a hole in the wardrobe, whether that's a figure of speech or not. Like, what am I going to do? I don't have another pair of black jeans, you know, for example. I don't have any pairs of black jeans right now. Um, <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> but if I could find a long black denim skirt, okay, people, I have a lot of requests. I'm looking for something fringe, not something. I'm looking for a full fucking fringe suit. Top, bottom, like Ooh. jacket, vest, skirt, and pant. Fringe. All, all fringe. All fringe. Oh, no, I take a dress too, a, a fringe dress. Okay. I just, fringe is my language of love right now. Okay. I want it all. And I went into a cowboy store the other day. We have a local cowboy store. And I, the first thing I said, I was like, I'm just looking for fringe. And she was like, oh, we might have one. I was like, you're a fucking cowboy store. Where's your fringe? Come to Calgary. We do cowboy stores here. (laughs) We have one. In Cloverdale. (laughs) You know, so we feel like there's 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 a missing piece in our wardrobe, but actually it's the opening up of infinite potential for whatever Mm. needs to come through there's that a space yeah the space and I think that we also go into we have to replace it immediately and we don't we just have to go I wonder if this is you know what what else is going to come 
And I think as well, this has turned into, I think this is this, that, you know, on the surface, this seems like a very basic conversation, but I think that there's so much here in terms of FTP because we are so conditioned. Like we can definitely take the politics, if you will, out of this. And this is just simply a conversation about like, find something that's nice, go find something nice to wear. I need a little black dress. Like that's not what we're talking about here. But I think the other thing that we get looped into in a consumer society is that we will buy four pairs of pants that don't feel good because they're in the right price that we think that we can afford instead of not buying five pairs, saving up the amount of money for those five pair and buying one pair that are going to last us longer, that are going mm-hmm. to, you know, fit the bill of exactly what it is. And this was a realization for me because it's just not how I shopped before. But maybe because I worked in retail and I had lots, I had access to lots of clothes, but I would have to be really choosy because I didn't have enough money to buy all the clothes that I really wanted. But somebody said to me one day that they really liked my tights and they're, they're black stretchy tights that have slits, three slits in the thigh and three slits in the calf. Okay. Or shin. Ooh. I love, I love this pair of like rock and roll tights. And she said to me, I really like your tights. I bet they were expensive. And I thought to her, what's expensive? I I said it, what's expensive? She's like, well, did you pay more than $20 for them? And I literally was like, I have never paid $20 for a pair of tights. Not because I have an extensive clothing fund, but because I have saved my money instead of having that impulse to fill the, the, the void in my closet mm-hmm. to be able to purchase the thing that I really want. Mm-hmm. Uh, that included a pair of tights that have slits in them yeah yeah it's interesting because the times when I do spend a little more my partner bought me a white linen shirt Ooh. earlier this year I think it was before we went to Mexico and well this year earlier last year and it, we were in I think Banana Republic, he likes to shop there. And I'm like, this is like above my price point. It always has felt that way. Even when I was a midwife and making really good money, <laughs> I could have afforded to shop there, but I, I wouldn't let myself. And it, it's so funny, as you said, like the things we will allow ourselves to spend money on. Well, I'll spend, you know, $200 on four things, but $200 on one thing. Holy bro, that's tough. Mm. But every time I put this shirt on, I feel amazing. And I wear it so much more because it feels so good to put on my body. And I feel like, I feel, I feel rich every time I go out in it. I'm like, look at me in my white linen shirt. Mm-hmm. And so just the, the pleasure and the joy I get from that one item, it's like, it's okay. If I have to do laundry every week, heaven forbid, I'm chronic about not doing laundry <laughs> until I have to. And I have a lot of kind of mediocre clothes so I can get away with not doing laundry for a long time. And I'm starting to like lean more into every week or so I'll get rid of like one or two more mm-hmm. items. I'll be like, I'll just put this away. I can't do it all in one go. It feels too hard. But mm-hmm. that is that sense of, again, allowing for permission to save up to like we- also to wear the things that feel really good rather than saving them for a special occasion. Burn the candle. Burn the, Burn can- the candle. <laughs> wear the nice thing. Be overdressed. <laughs> If that makes you feel good, if that makes you yeah. feel good. So I also just did laundry for the first time in three weeks. And I looked at my closet that was filled with still some clothing. And mm-hmm. there's some pieces in there that I am like, I don't have anything to wear this with. Like, it's not a standalone piece. It's a, it's a, say, for example, a, an overshirt. Is this a thing? 
an overshirt, a cardigan, yeah. like that, and a duster. Actually, they're dusters. Two of them are dusters. And I don't have a winter wear. The duster I can wear in the winter, mm. but I don't have a winter wear thing to put underneath it besides a tank top, which I could totally do. But the reason that they weren't in the laundry is because I had worn the tank tops, but I didn't have anything else that I could wear underneath it. I thought to myself, okay, the next piece of clothing that I want to purchase, I'm going to be looking for these sorts of things, these, these pieces of clothing, these certain pieces. And I also got rid of a few things that I'm like, I love these pieces. They don't fit anymore. I love these pieces. I have a dog that loves to jump. Who's like six feet tall. And therefore a knit, like a finely knit, it's just not a good mm -hmm. idea. If I want to keep this looking nice, somebody else is going to be able to wear this and they're going to really enjoy this fine knit, like cropped cardigan from Roots that I purchased, you know, and wore three times mm -hmm. because I'm too afraid that Ruby's going to mm -hmm. jump on me, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you also have to take those things into consideration. And I also think that like, I love a good oversized, like yesterday, I actually wore one of my lover's t-shirts a because I hadn't done laundry b because I love an oversized shirt like I love a, a cozy oversized shirt and that frequency is different to me and when we're talking about embodying the divine feminine that frequency is different to me than the the frequency of me going out let's say and, and doing an in-person event I might still wear that shirt but the way that I pair it or what I pair it with is, again, this like we can think about this on a very surface level of like these gals are just talking about what's good and what's not to wear. But it's the frequency of my energy whenever I put that on. So I'm like, okay, if I was to wear this with like a cute little pair of pants and, you know, maybe knotted or tied up or whatever, and then put my mm -hmm. vest over top of it, we've got a whole different look than a hiking shirt, an oversized hiking shirt, which is what that was. The concept of like, I don't have things that I can wear in public doesn't strike me because I have pared my closet down to things that energetically feel really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If I can change every single one of you to get rid of, <laughs> challenging actually, to get rid of one piece in your closet that does not feel aligned for you. This is your divine feminine embodiment homework. Yeah. Yeah. This, this episode. Is. Get rid of one piece of clothing that you might like it on the rack, but when you put it on your body, you're like, for whatever reason, the cut, the color, the material, the style, whatever it is, it's just not doing it for you. Get rid of it. You're never going to wear it. Don't do it. Or you are, and you're not going to feel comfortable in it. And we want you to be comfortable, <laughs> which... Yeah, let's talk a little bit from here. I think we're going to have to cut the last two topics and we're just going to stick with embodiment practices. Okay. <laughs> because we're going to fill the rest of the time. We're yeah. at 45 minutes already. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> or 40 minutes. I'm good. We're good. We're like, we let's extend. Like, yeah, because yeah, we've, we can, we can go into like, we haven't even talked about sensual practices and anointing and essential oils and all of those things so let's kind of steer away from fashion yeah. <laughs> and although fashion can be sensual I think we talked on a previous episode about my silk robe that just feels so good every time I put it on my body magic uh, and yeah let's talk about embodying your divine feminine in in pleasure and sens sensual practices yes okay so and I think in traditional, we're going to go deep. We're going to go deep really quick, actually, about this. Get on get on board, everyone. 
in traditional heteronormative relationships, just come with me for that terminology for, for right now. As a queer woman educating the majority of the clientele or heteronormative, we have to think about things less in terms of male, female, even though that's the majority of the people that I'm speaking to. And we have to think about this in terms of energetics of masculine and feminine. Mm -hmm. And this is a really good topic because even within heteronormative relationships, we have roles that are played through masculine and feminine between males and females. We're not excused that the female is sometimes not going to be masculine and the male is not going to be feminine. So the role of, of, of embodying the divine feminine in a sacred sensual, sensual practice is receptivity. And the number one thing that I find the most common with couples is that the woman is not comfortable receiving pleasure. That's number one. Number two, mm -hmm. the male is not comfortable. The masculine role and the feminine role, if you will, as I just defined those things, let's actually use them. The masculine role is not okay with the feminine role pleasuring themselves. Those are the two number one things that I see when it comes to heteronormative couples. Mm -hmm. And even through queer coupling, I see this less through queer coupling because of the way that we have pleasure, like that we, we have to think outside the box or outside yeah. the form for pleasure to begin with. But not being able to pleasure ourselves is, is a problem. Let's just say that it's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Because understanding how to autonomously pleasure ourselves to potential orgasm, but just pleasure. Mm -hmm. And then be able to guide our masculine counterpart to understand the map of our pleasure, because feminine pleasure is different for every woman. There are some, yes, we all have a clitoris. Yes, I mean, assuming, <laughs> you know, yes, we all have, you know, potentially pleasure spots, let's call them. Let's, let's mm -hmm. clear this, this terminology for just a half a second. And we have pleasure spots. Not all of the buttons are pressed in the same way, if you will. Mm -hmm. And it can be dependent on the feminine role, with how turned on they are, and therefore how receptive they can be. And the masculine role, the testosterone role or the masculine role needs very little lead up to being turned on. Now, are there feminine roles out there that 100% like are ready to throw down in a half a second? Yes. Mm -hmm. and <clears throat> there's still a, a sense of receptivity that needs to happen. Okay? Well, and the confidence too, to be able to direct, give directions and ask for what you want. That is, it's as hard for me to ask for what I want in bed as it is to ask my partner to get up off the couch and go get me a glass of water. Oh my gosh. Right? Convenience. The in, right and like I've I've worked on that a lot out of the bedroom it's much easier I've gotten I've gotten so much better at being like yeah it's fine to ask him to go do something for me and and that's been part of my own journey over the last several years it's still more difficult in that more vulnerable mm -hmm. sphere where we're so not used to advocating for asking for our own pleasure and desire this taps into from Hollywood to porn, the woman's pleasure is secondary. 
it's oh, secondary gosh. to the man's pleasure. It's there for the man's pleasure. Again, we're back into heteronormativity, but that's the bulk of what we see and 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 take in. And so it is this sense of like, if you don't even know how to turn yourself on and to pleasure yourself, then it's going to be doubly hard. You'll have to surmount the not knowing and the trying to ask for what it is that feels good. And so a you lot of ask. women, you won't ask. And so a lot of women just don't, they just don't have orgasms with partners or don't have a lot of fun in sex and it's such a shame or fake it oh my gosh I was a faker for years actually I read the book come as you are by Uh, Emily Nagoski yeah I read that book and I was like I'm never faking an orgasm again never there's no need no and and something about that like oh I can enjoy this for what it is whether or not I orgasm because that was for me a lot of the like piece of resistance was like ah it's taking too long oh my gosh what must this be like for them like ah, I have to I have to come quickly and the day I was like no I can just enjoy this and if I have an orgasm great and if I don't it still feels good (laughs) and I can just decide when to wrap it up that was a game changer for me and she describes what you're talking about in terms of like time it takes to get turned on the the brakes and the gas pedal and I love Mm -hmm. that where you know some people's gas pedals really sensitive and their brakes are also really sensitive and so they can get revved up quick but they can also like turn off really quick and there's you know any kind of balance of those two for men and women it was a really great visual of how it all works for us yes that if you don't have that book it's definitely one that you need to put on your on your to be read I listened to immediately Exactly. I think to expand on this as well, like we have, so we we have the subservient role of the feminine in the bedroom that we're here to serve the masculine role. And I think that we are taught from a young age, like we're not taught about cunnilingus for the female body at a young age. We're taught about blowjobs. Oh my gosh. I didn't even know what my clitoris was when I started having sex. (laughs) My boyfriend at the time was like, do you know what I'm doing? He was like playing around with me. And I was like, he's like, do you like, do you, does that feel good? I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, do you know what I'm doing? I was like, not really. And he described it to me as the man in the upside down canoe. Oh my God. I'm, I'm, you cannot see my face if you're listening to this, but I'm literally mortified and also completely amused. The man in the upside down, at least he knew. At least he knew. At least he knew. He was a bit older than I was. Wow. Good son. Good son. You know, Uh, this is the thing. We're not taught to touch ourselves. We're taught that it's dirty to touch ourselves. So we don't know know ourselves to begin with. And, you know, if you really enjoy work like this from a very explicit point of view in terms of cervical orgasms, which is like, is the, 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 like, what's it called whenever you're a Reiki master, ascended master. Mm. It's the ascended master of orgasms is a cervical orgasm. And Kim Anami does a whole course on the well-fucked woman and, and cervical orgasms. And this is like, ladies, this is where you want to, this is where you want to focus your attention. If you're not already having these, you want to focus. If you want to touch God, you, you want a cervical orgasm. But I think that we're not taught about ourselves and we're taught that it's abrasive or to, to put the brakes on instead of the receptivity of exploring yourself and of wooing yourself and romancing mm-hmm. yourself. And when's the last time you you know poured yourself a sensual bath? Yesterday, actually, my lover first poured me a bath with bubbles, which I can't do. It does not agree with my body, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And then she said, I, I 
unplugged the tub, I rinsed the tub out for you and I have the water ready for you. And I literally was like, thank you. Thank you. Mm. And I mentioned as we walked into the house, I'm frozen. I think I'm going to have a bath. So when I assumed, because I smelled bubbles, that she was going to have a bath first. And I thought, oh, are you going to have a bath? I'll pop my feet in at least. She was like, no, this is for you. So, you know, with this receptivity of, of sensuality or sensual experiences, baths, anointing ourselves. So mm-hmm. that can look like perfumes, if that's your jam, or essential oils, or any other elixirs that Mm -hmm. that go on your body you know caressing yourself with those oils or yes lotions or whatever it is yes showing yourself how you care for your own body this is really part of the embodiment of the divine feminine is caring for yourself and I think Mm -hmm. as well it's not that we can't be cared for we need to expect to be cared for any of those things like we need to learn how to care for ourselves first Mm-hmm. And part of the embodiment piece here is knowing how to guide our people, our family, our lovers into how to care for us, you know? Yes. Yeah, for sure. So I think, like I said, the problems that I'm seeing are women not being able to pleasure themselves. Like it's it's frowned upon to pleasure themselves. And it's frowned upon because the masculine role feels like they should know what to do and the feminine shouldn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. There's no have to or not have to. Like, you know, uh, if that's the same, if, if my, if my first argument is like, okay, then there's an unwritten rule that he can never jerk off ever again. <laughs> right. And like the fact that we, ex- there's that sense of threat, like, oh, I'm not, I can't pleasure you. Like, you know, I'm not good enough because you're teaching me instead of that like ooh, and obviously it's not all my men or masculine partners by any means lots of them are like yes please tell me what to do Mm -hmm. and I think that's shifting more and more but certainly there are so many who feel threatened by that Mm -hmm. it's like no this isn't a threat let me just like let's make this better yeah and I to add to this is that how do they know they don't have those words how do they know you know, you only know through experimentation and maybe you have you've been somebody lucky enough to have lots of experiments for your life and, and have a partner that gives you really good feedback, whether that be, you know, verbal or nonverbal cues. Mm-hmm. But I think that as females, we expect our partners to know and therefore we expect them to be able to do. And then they don't know and they don't do because they don't want to mess it up. Mm-hmm. And then we're just like, okay, we're back to blowjobs. Or they do and it's not and working it's for cool. you. And so then you're then you're faking it. Oh, oh, sister, come see me, please. Come see me. Then I just like, oh my, I hurt. I ache for you. I ache for you. It's not me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> By any means. And as a Scorpio, it's never really been me. And I also think that we need to have be having more conversations about what the expectations are in our relationship and in our sexual practices. And it doesn't need to be like before we hop in bed together. It's literally, this is a conversation that happens as we start to date or we start to unfold or we start to deepen or whatever. So that when we get to the bedroom, we know those parameters. We know mm-hmm. those parameters. I think that, that 
that is even a divine feminine practice of being able to stand in your truth of what you are and who you are and be able to express that to your mm. partner. So yeah, that communication piece is very much in the realm. Communication with that compassion on it, right? The beauty of the feminine is there is a way to communicate these things with kindness, with compassion, without being threatening or you know there, there is that sense of being able to bring the softness to the speaking of the desires or the needs mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think that even before we get to the bedroom partnered or not this is the other thing with with the sensual pleasure is that we think that we need to wait for a partner to be able to experiment and express ourselves in this way and my belief and part of the work that I do is actually moving backwards and understanding for yourself exactly what is pleasurable for you and whether that's like the silk robe that you wear whether that's the the you know how you how you romance yourself how it is that you turn yourself on before the act even begins you know and I think that we can also use other embodiment practices if you are somebody who is asexual that doesn't mean that you can't embody the divine feminine and and can't have pleasurable practices Mm -hmm. and those pleasurable practices that include embodiment are things like breath work or things like yoga we're staying on the side of receptivity when it comes to moving our body it can be hiking we are literally taking in our external environment we're taking in the aromas and the sights and the sounds of the forest and it can be things like pilates like the, the kind of movements, somatic movement, the kind of movements where you're literally becoming more in tune with who you are. It doesn't mean that weightlifting and hit and all of those things cannot be turned into a feminine practice because I do feel like there is a, a sense of receptivity when it comes to that. But for me, there's a fine line in terms of the feminine and the masculine in those moments and sometimes Mm -hmm. we need the masculine in our life in that way so that we can burn off the energy that we need to so that we can come back into the receptivity of of the divine feminine Mm -hmm. yeah there is there's a almost indulgent feel again because of the way that we've been cultured to things like breath work and yoga the slower things the things that don't carry the same like well you're getting in shape you're doing it for you right like things like massage to body work mm. stuff oh, that's so very receptive and a, a great way to embody your feminine to allow pleasure to receive pleasure it doesn't have to be sexual ever if you don't want it to be yeah yeah and body work in general you, you mentioned massage things like physio and chiro and acupuncture acupuncture mm-hmm. is a beautiful divine feminine receptivity you're literally changing the way that your energy moves in your body with acupuncture acupressure any of those those practices for your body are are really good ways to start to tune in and I think the key practice for me in this in this sense like through all of the hills that I will that I will die on through our clothing through our practices for our body like our uh, literal embodiment practices of movement of how we care for ourselves and of our sensuality the main component of all of these things is how do you feel how do you mm-hmm. without the outside source telling you who you should be or that you shouldn't do that for that matter 
how do you feel? Because if you're in, you know, a breathwork practice and you're just like feeling like this is, you are so out of body in the experience, not in a good way, <laughs> like a fish out of water, then this is, it's maybe not for you just because we've talked about this here. It might not be for you. Mm-hmm. Again, let yourself be right. Let yourself, what beautiful, beautiful, like affirmation. Let yourself be right. That's my favorite. <laughs> this is great I love that we had three topics and we covered one yeah <laughs> so that means now. Part, there's a part three now part three and probably a part four you never know I mean realistically every episode is about the divine feminine <laughs> around here but oh uh, yeah so is there anything else that we want to chat about or drop in about this before we wrap up Yeah, I actually would like to propose another little bit of a challenge. So I said, the first challenge is just that go through your closet and I challenge you to get rid of one piece of clothing in your closet or a piece of underwear. Um, Start with your undies because let's be real. You definitely have a pair of underwear in there that don't fit well or that are ripped or stained in some capacity (laughs) that just don't, like they don't feel good. Check your undergarments if you wear them. And... So that's the first challenge. The second challenge is to come on over to Instagram and share with us any of the takeaways that you had from this episode. I would love to hear if there was any aha moments about anything that we talked about in terms of the divine feminine and the embodiment practices. This is something that's really good for us to know because, you know, everybody has a different focus in the divine feminine like an area of focus and we're curious to know what yours is mm-hmm. yeah for sure I think there's lots of lots of stuff here do you have anything right now that you want people to be aware of that you are launching sure do right now the wait list is still open for the launch of the wild woman program and the wild woman is a three-month mentorship program and actually is going to talk a lot and going to have a a huge focus on the divine feminine to begin with. But really what we're doing in here is deconditioning, deconditioning the beliefs that we have from the constructs of society. So this program really should probably be called FTP, but it's called uh, Wild Woman. And it's, it's rewilding, if you will, and remembering the ways in which the patriarchy has taught us to live that are not in alignment with the sacred divine feminine that we still mm. embody to this day. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get on that wait list, come on over to my website. I'll put the link below. And then I also have open readings again. I've just changed my schedule for readings. So I have fewer spots available and there's three readings that I do Oracle readings. One is just a, a tarot reading in general, we dig into some of the things that you might have questions around. The second one is a year ahead. So this could be for birthdays or the year itself as we just, you know, started in January. We're just, we're still in January right now, or it can be a transition. Another transition in your life can be at any time. And then I also have the full moon readings that are every full moon, you purchase a reading and I read one single card for you under the energetics of the astrological sign of the full moon. So what are we getting rid of? What are we exposing? So my card readings are available and you can 
find a link for them in the show notes as well. Mm -hmm. You sure can. Yeah. And if you want new moon card readings, come join us over on Patreon. Please. Ellie does those live every month for us in there as well. And yeah, I have actually in bulk is coming up. So I will put the link. I right now I don't have the dates in front of me, but (laughs) it's the next wheel of the year ceremony in bulk. It means in the belly and it's the beginning of spring in the Celtic calendar. So it falls on February 1st and the ceremony is right around then. I'll pop the details down below. And then I as of recording, I have two spaces left to jump into Rekindled with me, which is a six-month program uh, for an end of January, beginning of February start. If that's full, I'll have a wait list open to dive in at the end of February with me. But that is a six-month container. It's a one-on-one container. It includes all of my Wheel of the Year ceremonies that happen during that container, if you're interested in joining for those as well. And it's really, it's a coming home to your body and the earth that's inviting in the magic the the sacredness into the mundane there's energy healing there's soul council session there's all sorts of little bits and pieces and it's really crafted to what it is that you need on your journey i love that Mm -hmm. i'm really i'm so excited so excited (laughs) yeah and that's that that's all i've got that's all you've got come on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, five-star review, so that you can be entered into our contest. Come join us. All we're on our Patreon because it's incredible over there. We have so many fun things this month. We are reading Women Who Run With the Wolves, Mm -hmm. which is just, it is a Bible. It is a Bible for FTP is what it is. It sure is. It's dull. I mean, it's, it feels like the most beautiful compliment to if women rose rooted, it's like that. Oh, yes, both and. <laughs> mm, both and is right. It's right. Yeah, so come join us over on Patreon. It is $11 a month, a full month of, I think we have four in-person, three in-person events and other uh, behind the scenes from podcasts, things that get clipped from the podcast that we put out to the public. There's some secret little clips that happen in the Patreon. So if you want to know about those, come on over and join us. You can find a link for our Patreon below as well. Mm -hmm. And that's a wrap on this week. Clearly we'll be returning to the Divine Feminine, but next week we are going to be doing something a little different for the podcast episode because it is the turn of the season, because we have Imbolc coming. We're going to create a ceremony of our podcast for next week. So make sure you tune in, tell your friends, bring them. Maybe you want to have a little listening party and come together with, you know, comfy clothes and some candles and some journals and really set the mood and the tone and, and sit in that together. So that's my offer to you, our offer to you. Yeah. Come join us. Come join us. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week, everyone. Bye, Woo Crew.